Hello, I'm Will Yeoman and welcome to another episode of the pod Well Travelled, where today I'm joined, well it's a bit like a revolving door at the moment, we had aviation editor Jeffrey Thomas on last week as a co-host, the week before was our regular co-host travel editor Stephen Scarfield, this week Moans Johansson's joining us, he's back from Singapore, many listeners will remember that we spoke to him in Singapore in the last couple of episodes actually, Moans is now back in Perth, and um, which is where we're broadcasting from, so Moans, welcome to the pod Well Travelled. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Are you feeling uh, well rested? Well, I, I shouldn't say that because it sounds like you had such a, a fantastic time and you were spoiled rotten. You hardly need a rest, do you, after after those Well, trips. exactly. I mean, I, I, you know, it really was quite a treat for me, uh, uh, this recent trip to Singapore, because, uh, you know, was, as uh, some of our regular readers would have seen, uh, it was in the paper last weekend, I was up there looking at these new uh, Singapore Airlines airport lounges mm. and, uh, you know, they're, they're just fantastic places to sort of escape some of the hustle and bustle of, uh, of airports. But these ones just uh, just a step up from, from the ordinary ones that I've, uh, I've sort of encountered before. They yeah. really are special. So I can't say I've been doing it tough. You can't really complain, no. But you no. did, um, and, and this is great because this leads us to something, uh, a story you've been working on and which we'll hopefully publish um, sometime in the future in the pages of, of travel in the West. And that's on Little India because there are these wonderful sort of precincts, aren't there, within Singapore, which are very distinctive in terms of the culture. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's, that's one of the, the sort of, oh, my favourite things about Singapore is that, that you can uh, sort of, Obviously, there's the the uh, modern sort of metropolis with the gleaming skyscrapers and the designer label shops and all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, if you if you pop down in the M or use the MRT, like I've been doing it a few times when I've been up there in recent times, it's a really good way to get around. And and uh, it's kind of like uh, I've just sort of finished my story. It's a little bit like time travel in a way because. You sort of uh, pop underground in the sort of modern metropolis uh, where the most of the hotels are and that sort of stuff, and you you pop up on the escalator into just about a different world. You know, uh, it can be you know obviously Chinatown or, mm. or like in this case, uh, I visited Little India. Uh, so it's a it's a pretty amazing sort of uh, contrast. You know, uh, just just within a few minutes. And does it feel like, I mean, g- given the the whole pandemic experience, uh, did it feel markedly different from the last time you'd visited? Uh, look, I mean, it is a little bit more relaxed now walking around. Uh, you know, when you're walking around outside, you don't need to wear face masks anymore, yeah, although yeah. most people do. Mm. Um, you know, it, it uh, it's sort of, it's a way of life there now just about. A lot, um, a, lot, a, lot, a lot of a lot of Asian countries. I, I, from my experience, of a lot of people have worn masks as a way yeah. of life, like forever. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, Japan that's true. or China or something. That so many people wear masks anyway. Yeah, that's true. But but uh, I, I guess it's even more noticeable now. Uh, sure. that you're just walking around Singapore. I must admit, I, you know. I find, you know, up there in particular, it was quite humid uh, the day I was sort of uh, walking around up in, in Little India. And when I was outside, I, I must admit, I didn't didn't wear my face mask. I just no, found no, it a little course. bit uncomfortable. But, yeah, uh, the humidity, but most people did. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, I popped into the, uh, or down into the MRT from just outside my hotel, the Pan, mm, Pan Pacific. Mm. 
And then, you know, a few minutes later, I emerged up in, into Little India and it was bucketing down, you know. Uh, oh, so, wow. <laughs> so I, uh, next to, right next to the, uh, the MIT in Little India there where I came up, uh, there was a, a, a huge sort of uh, indoor, it's called the Tika Center. And uh, it's sort of like there's a wet market there and there's a, uh, there's some. Uh, there's a little food hall there as well, and mm. uh, upstairs there's they sell all kinds of uh, textiles and that sort of stuff. So while it was bucketing down outside, I, I started my morning off having a, a bit of a look in look around in there, which was really interesting. Um, and uh, then I, I sort of uh, emerged from there and and uh, started sort of wandering the streets a little bit and uh, I sort of loosely followed this uh, there's a heritage trail that sort oh, of takes yes. you through uh, little India and um, you know it takes you past uh, you know uh, churches mosques and uh, you know temples and that sort of stuff uh, mm. but also sort of uh, historic buildings and, and and that sort of stuff so I loosely followed that but it was just a it's just a really sort of sensory overload thing, you know, walking through there because there's such a mix of stuff. Um, I was saying in my story, you know, one minute you're, one minute you're walking through um, along the street and uh, you're looking at uh, jewelry, and the next thing, the next shop next to it is, uh, you know, uh, motorcycle spare parts. You know, it's, it's that sort of <laughs> weird mix of, of stuff. Well, it's, it's actually so, uh, it's actually like being in some parts of India then in that regard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was really, I, I really enjoyed my morning there, and, and uh, uh, you know, and and then you know, in uh, in uh, in a few minutes time or a few minutes walk from there, I just ended up at uh, uh, what's it called, Bugis uh, Bugis Junction, uh, which is sort of like a you know a, a modern hub again uh, mm. so you can escape in there to some air conditioning and some uh, uh, some different kind of shopping again you know yeah. so it's, it's just that really sort of interesting mix and and contrast that you you get within ri- literally a few streets well, as you say a relatively sure. small small area that the diversity is incredible isn't it yeah, amazing. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm. Well, look, you know what? I, I, by contrast, because we can read all about this, as, as I mentioned earlier, in, in a few weeks, by contrast, let's now go to our guest for this morning, who is Patsy Millett. Now, Patsy is, is the eldest daughter of the six children of pioneering aviator Horry Miller and the author Dame Mary Durack Miller. And, and so Patsy was born at the outbreak of World War II and educated in Perth. She travelled frequently to the West and East Kimberley, regions where her family had property and pastoral stations. But the interesting thing about her and her sisters is that they were also, um, what do they call them, air hostesses. Um, you know, on their father's um, DC-3s, which they were in those days, those planes. And um, she's got some great stories to tell about, you know, life as a hostess, life uh, and and travelling as well, a life of travel. Both her father, clearly, who is a bit of an aviation legend, legend, but also her mother and her mother's sister, Elizabeth, and herself. So let's just hear from Patsy now. First of all, congratulations right. on, a, on a fantastic book. I mean, it's very, it's very different, isn't it, from um, um, Brendan Isles' True North, but um, I think they kind of complement each other in many ways. Uh, it, you mean you got through it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, no, no, look, I, let's, let's say I staggered it. It took me a little while, you know, a little bit of the time. Yes, it's, uh, you get your money's worth anyway. <laughs> it's fantastic, actually. It's very entertaining too, I must say. Um, look, the story of a family really more so than just, just your mother, isn't it, really? Oh, it isn't a biography. No, no, exactly. Not at all. It's mm. slightly sort of uh, given that impression by Fremantle Press, you thought that would sell better uh, if it looked like a biography, but it isn't really. It's a broader thing than that. Um, because we're talking about uh, this in the context of a travel podcast, I found it interesting that that even that element alone, even though it's it's somewhat you know, narrow in one sense and another sense it's not because it was in, it was part of your family's entire life, wasn't it? Whether it was just, I, I, for example, I love your account of your the family's first visit to Broome in the DC3. I don't think you were that impressed. Yes, well, yeah, well, that was um, a, a whole era. West Australians, you know, were very familiar with their travelling up and down the coast in those old DC3s. They were, uh, they still look back on very nostalgically Anyway, uh, but apart from that, uh, going the, the travelling business was very much a part of our family. In terms of my family and travel, you'd hardly find a family more peripatetic. That's a nice word. <laughs> That's the word. I love that. Well, I use it often. Peripatetic than the Duracs. Um, they were less sort of what you could describe as regular travellers than relentless travellers, forever setting out for somewhere else whether there was a need for it or not. Um, I think from the time of the patriarch of the family, Patrick Durack, uh, the time he embarked from Ireland, I think it became a sort of genetic thing. <laughs> we all inherited the bug mm. of travel. Uh, and w- and with the addition of, uh, of my father, that's the air pioneer, founder of MMA Airlines, mm. Horry Miller, yes, to the mix, that gave us a, a handy and mostly free of charge uh, means of getting there. So the between, I suppose, it would be 1935 and 1970, there were few flights up and down the WA coast that didn't have a member of our family on board. I've got hold of some of the old manifests and there's always a Durack or a Miller on board. <laughs> But, uh, anyway, but, but, but for, for your sisters, though, you and your sisters, there was also a professional angle to this well, travel, wasn't there? Well, yeah, that came later. But yes, when we of were course. kids, we were just up and down all the time. Um, did, you but, love, did you love uh, travelling as a child? Did you really enjoy it? What, travelling? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> it depends on the means, really, or what we were on, but... Uh, but it started very early in the family because um, the, the first means of travel came with the shipping lines, and I did it by ship a few times up to Darwin and back. Mm. Um, and from 1912, you know, the state shipping lines ran up and down. But that meant 10 days at sea to get to Wyndham, from Perth to Wyndham. How extraordinary. And so uh, the return trip was the best part of a month. <laughs> so um, it, it was... The, my grandfather never got over the convenience of air travel, so he was airsick all the way, and he was forever calculating how long it had taken him to cover the same distance on horseback. <laughs> that is but fantastic. We were all of us uh, moving around somewhere all the time. Mm. Uh, my my aunt, you know, the artist Elizabeth. Elizabeth, Vera, yes, of course. She had a constant mantra. 
she used to say, you must never lose the power of movement. By this, I think she meant that any comfort zone, like, say, a suburban house, was for her only temporary. Mm. Uh, once she had covered Australia, in her middle age, she set out bravely alone across the world, and she never really stopped until she died. Um, you're picking up the latest... Um, artistic impressions for another exhibition. Mm. She'd no sooner cover one country than she'd be off on another. She, but, um, she one, wouldn't have been very happy during COVID when we couldn't actually travel. Oh, she was gone by then. That's what I'm going to say. But imagine if she'd been alive, she would have really suffered, I think. Uh, she would have. She would not have liked being stuck. <laughs> it would have gone down very badly. But, uh, well, once that awful sea voyage was replaced by that new era of flight, mm. which was well, certainly shorter, but didn't get much more comfortable than a DC-3. Um, our family, the Miller family, we lived between Perth and Broome, mm. and my dad had a private aircraft that he, he really only used as a runabout, and we were as much at home aloft as we were on the ground. You'll know, I think, about my sister Robin. Yes, yes, I want to talk more about her as well, but uh, that that's heading towards that, as you say, later in life aspect for you, for Julie as well, of course, and yourself. Well, I mean, what, what, was, it, was it a given that at least some of, one or two of you would go into the, to the business professionally in that capacity, whether it's a pilot or a hostess? Not really, Will. Um, I think the thing was that uh, both Julie and I felt it would please Dad you right. know, he was getting on and that it would please him if we did show an interest to that extent. So um, we both of us became hostesses at different times and uh, and it was a great experience too, mm. you know, to, uh, to cover the North just at that time that it was on the verge of changing forever in mm. the 1960s. Mm. And uh, we, it was a... Uh, uh, Oh, well, it was something you remember all your life, those few years that you were just going off into the dawn at three o'clock in the morning and uh, and setting off up the coast. And it was in a time when you travelled in the DC-3s when you could actually see the geography of what you were passing over from your seat aloft. You know, you could see the ground. Nowadays, mm. air travel is just, you know, you see nothing except the haze. Mm. It's more just about convenience, isn't it, rather than the romance of the, of, the, of the travel? Yes. Anyway, it was a um, a good time. We had a good time too. Mm. Anyway, my sister Robin, she'd extend her love of flying to her, her career too because, uh, well, after purchasing an aeroplane for the purpose of delivering the polio injections to our back communities, uh, she went on to join the Royal Flying Doctor as a pilot nurse and her entire life was spent on the move. She, I don't think she ever really put her feet up. Mm, mm. And her life was short, so uh, she packed it in. And she was often accompanied by Dad on her mercy flight, um, especially when she couldn't find an escort, which was frequent uh, for the patient. Um, and by this means... He kept his flying hand in when his pilot's license, which was the longest held in Australia, by the way, wow. was finally revoked. And poor old dad, when he couldn't anymore pack his bag for a dawn start, well, his life was more or less over. So so when, when it was revoked, Ruff, do you remember how old he was then? 
Uh, he would have been... I think he'd met it, though, well, he didn't remind them that actually he was well over age, but it was about, I think it was about 74 right. when it was revoked. Wow, okay. So he had a very good run then. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, but uh, anyway, the travel aspect has been quite well uh, covered in my book. Mm, I know the, it absolutely uh, has. What's the name of my book again? How quickly you forget? <laughs> inseparable in, in elements. Way, I, in, yes, I, I can only think of insufferable elements. <laughs> the way I, I remind myself of it. Uh, yes, well, it's fairly well covered, but it, it does cover a, a broad picture of the of the main characters over a period of about sixty years uh, in our family, for better or worse. Um, it's not a biography, but it's rather a wrap-up of what happened to the Duracs once the pioneering era came to an end uh, with the sale of the properties mm. and the place my mother continued to hold at the centre of it all until the end of her days. Um, do you want to know about my mother's travels? Oh, no, please do. Yes, absolutely. Well, do you know, she kept a diary for most of her life and uh, in transcribing this very formidable record, if it was, uh, I devoted, uh, I've devoted a whole section just to her travels mm. because the demands on her as a famous author took her to, uh, to all states and not just the beaten track, but she went to some weird and forgotten places of historic interest and that's all captured on record very evocatively in her diaries. And like other members of the family, her spirit had been sort of captured in an early age by the magic of the Kimberley area and required constant renewal mm. with the country and the Aboriginal people. So she would be up and back, uh, up and down, uh, I suppose, four or five times a year. I, I know a lot, a lot of this was as part of her activities with the Federa uh, sorry, the Fellowship of Australian Writers, wasn't it? Doing workshops and so forth in Kununurra and places like that. Yes, she did um, form regional branches of mm. the fellowship. Mm. That was one of the things she did. And uh, also the um, the Aboriginal arts, uh, their dance, try to capture the, uh, the original dance um, and song of the Aboriginal people uh, through the Aboriginal Theatre Foundation. Mm. That was another thing she did. Indeed. There were things that kept her moving somewhere or other all the time, not just in Western Australia, but all across Australia, because she had very strong ties with the Stockman's Hall of Fame in Queensland. Okay. And that, that saw her going back and forth too. Um, have, have you ever been to the Stockman's Hall of Fame? I have not, I must right. say. Well, that's something to put on your music list, Will. <laughs> I think it sounds like I really need to. Yes, uh, have you been to Kananara? I have been to Kananara, yes. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> At least that much I can say, yes. <laughs> well, I'm off to Kananara next week for the purpose of making a, an SBS film, oh, wow. which is about the proposed Jewish settlement in the East Kimberley area yes. in the 1940s. It's quite a well-known story that we almost became the new Jerusalem mm. up in that region, um, and they're now making a film of it, and I'm contributing to that. So I'm moving again in a few <laughs> days. Um, 
it's, it, I think that is quite right. You must never move, lose the power of movement. And once you do, well, a good part of your life anyway is over. And uh, so I try to... Uh, well, the COVID has been a terrible hold-up for people. They've been really caught at home uh, where they have to really tap their inner resources <laughs> because, um, you know, and it seems to have gone on for so long. But anyway, there it is. Uh, is there any other aspect that you want to talk about? Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. I, d- I just wanted to ask you again... Um you know, with with the COVID thing, we we all understand how difficult it was. But I'm just wondering for you, having come from a, a family of readers as well, did, did did you ever find that that books were some kind of solace or some replacement as a kind of vicarious travelling? Which book? Oh, just any books, just reading in general. Did you find solace in reading to take you somewhere else when you couldn't travel so much? Well, sure. It depends on mm. the quality of the book. <laughs> Indeed. But, and, of course. <laughs> uh, of course I did. And I don't often used to uh, read very stirring travelling books while travelling. So, you know, but for me, uh, well, I've had my fair share of travels in my life, I have to say. Um, but that's... Uh, I can honestly say that for me, it was always better to travel than arrive. Uh, but that's another story. That, that's really that interesting. Now. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I understand <laughs> a lot of people feel that way and are often disillusioned when they actually arrive at their destination. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, but anyway, I've also um, kept a diary every single day of my life since I was about 20. Mm. You can imagine the pile up there on the shelves. Oh, my goodness. And so it's not as if I can lose any of my travels. And everybody should actually make a discipline of writing a travel diary. If if you go anywhere, uh, you only really retain the main parts of it unless you put it down. And I think travel diaries are essential. And you can relive it over and over as the years go by. I think that's excellent advice. I mean, obviously, those of us who, who are journalists do that as a matter of course, but for every traveller to do it, I, I've always believed that myself. I mean, instead of just taking photographs on your phone all the time, actually write something down. Well, that's quite right. Mm. Um, the way a journalist would cover it, though, would be for in terms of... Uh, well, it's a very bit different, isn't it? be interesting mm. for readers rather than what might be, you know, the aspect of the trip that you wouldn't, other, wouldn't want published. Indeed. But I put it all down, you see... <laughs> I put down the things that, uh, uh, you know, I put down the good parts and the bad parts. Well, I think that's... As, as every trip is full of good parts and bad parts. Hopefully, you know, good outweighs the bad. Well, hopefully. Not always. <laughs> not always, no. Um, anyway, it's uh, it's something to keep up. But you just keep moving. Keep moving, Will. That's the, that's the main thing. Okay, so an amazing story there. I should have said at the introduction that um, Patsy's book is called Inseparable Elements, Dame Mary Durack. This is a daughter's perspective. That's on. That's the title, um, and it's published by Fremantle Press. It's it's not a, really a, a biography as such. It's more of a sort of a, a document of um, of an entire family o- over a, a very large period and a very significant period in Australia's history. And it's it's warts and all as well. And as you probably know, mm. Pat, Patsy's yeah, is very quite, interesting, quite, quite hilarious. So, so there you go. But Moans, have you ever been on a DC three? Because Patsy asked me that question, and I had to confess I hadn't. I haven't. No, no, no. no. Uh, I'm sort of. Uh, 
yeah, it would be a, it would be an interesting experience. Put it that way. I'm not sure that uh, you know it'll it'll sort of. Uh, inspire me with a lot of confidence but, <laughs> but I'd like to try nonetheless <laughs> I remember going on one of the old I don't remember what were the older light aircraft that the um, the flying doctor service used to use um, because um, the, the photographer Richard Waldendorp um, often flew in one of those to take his photographs and I remember mm-hmm. going up with him in one of those one day it's probably about as close as I got to a fairly oldish you know small aircraft that was really made you feel like you were flying, you know, bumps and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been lucky enough on a, on a few occasions to uh, uh, get a flight in the Tiger Moth. Uh, oh, and that's, wow. uh, you know, really, really interesting because uh, you're really out in the elements. It's, uh, it's a bit like flying a motorbike. <laughs> oh, you're uh, really cool. out in the open. Yeah. Mm, as you say, you really feel like you are actually flying, which you, you can forget quite easily in today's modern aircraft, can't you? Yeah, exactly, exactly. They're just so comfortable and quiet, as, as you would have experienced recently, as I'm saying. Yes, thinking, well, that's actually, right. You know that's all about right. this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and your business class and the premium economy and everything else. I mean, yeah, or, yeah, or you, yeah. you, did, you did try economy as well, to be fair. We like to give um, our listeners a yeah, yeah, range absolutely. of experiences, don't yeah. we? Um, I yeah, wonder. I wanted to ask you too. This is interesting. Um, some advice. This would be you know good for people to hear. I'm I'm going to Melbourne tomorrow, um, just for a few days uh, for an assignment, and I have not been to Melbourne for like three years. And I'm yeah, I'm just yeah. curious if people travelling interstate now, what what's the current state of play in terms of, you know, you know, is, is G2G a thing anymore? Is that all out the window? I mean, what about testing? Is that all out the window as well? Do you know Do you know much yeah, about both, that? Both yeah, both those uh, both those things are out of the window now. There's no requirement for a G2G pass anymore. That's incredible. And uh, same with same with testing. I guess you know you just uh, just. You know, unless you have symptoms, uh, you just get on the aircraft and get off on the other end. But you still have to wear face masks in the airports and, 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 and uh, on, while, you, on while you're on the, right, on the okay. flight. Yeah. But but other than that, you just get on and get off as, as pretty much as we used to. And what about um, security systems now? I know there's been a, there have been a lot of changes there, and I've heard about things like you can keep your laptops in your bag and stuff like that. What's the situation here in Australia? Is that only for international flights? Yeah, there's a there's an. I noticed when I was heading to uh, Singapore, yeah. uh, there's a new sort of system, certainly in the international area, where mm. uh, they've they've got a whole new sort of screening uh, process there, uh, and you can actually leave the the laptops in the bag as such. Um, so uh, they don't don't uh, require you to take it out of the bag anymore. So, um, but uh, you know, coming back. You know, from Singapore, they were still they were still asking you to take your right. laptops and phones out okay. of the bag. So, so it's not so, it's not so it varies, yet. Yeah, no, it varies a little bit. I think. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. So, oh, okay. Well, mm, I'll look forward yeah. to the experience. As I say, no, no, it sounds weird, but it's just that I haven't done it for so long that I'm just yeah, feel like I'm yeah. completely out of the loop. And I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who are in the same position, which is why I wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I, uh, I think you would find that that uh, you know apart from the mask situation, everything is pretty much normal. Mm. Um, you know, for international travel, there's that just a little bit longer check-in because you know they need to check uh, vaccination status and right, so on. Okay. 
but but uh, you, you know if you uh, if you do all the the homework uh, before you you get to the airport and and uh, you know even fill in the online in particular for un- international travel if mm. you fin- fill in the uh, the uh, travel declarations online it's all linked to your passport so as soon as uh, as soon as you know the customs office, officer sees your passport uh, they basically have all the information, you know, like your vaccination status and so on. So uh, it really is quite a smooth process okay. if you do the work before you leave. Yeah, and you you're obviously I mean. talking about international flights. I mean, for inter- yeah, interstate, yeah. You, no homework required. <laughs> no, no, really. But, uh, but of course, you know, I... You, you may still be required to to uh, produce your vaccination certificate at the at the check-in. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course, that's so. Right. Uh, mm. So you can either have that on your phone or as a printed out version. But other than that, just uh, hop on and hop off. Fantastic, it's good to hear. Uh, which which leads me to the last point I want to mention today, which is the the competition that the West is currently running at the moment for for two premium economy seats on either Qantas's direct flight from Perth to London or direct flight from Perth to Rome, which is pretty amazing. I mean, the, the, I really love this because you, you can enter as many times as you want. You just have to keep buying newspapers, basically, because you get this uh, <laughs> you know, unique code yeah. word in, in, in the paper. Um, yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. And I think um, – so, so this, this new Rome flight is kicking off from, well, this month, June the 25th. And apart from the flights, you, you also get accommodation in the destination city – and 10 readers can also win a cash prize of $1,000, which could go towards your, your next flight or next adventure. But in addition to that, I, I'm, I've been told that one of, the, uh, one of our subscribers, our West subscribers, um, has a chance to win $5,000. So yeah, That's amazing, isn't it? It is, it is pretty. And, and, and I, I always I hate hearing about these competitions because, as you know, none of us <laughs> employees can join. So what's the <laughs> no, bloody point? No. no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> But I mean, just on those uh, direct flights, I yeah. mean, that really is a, a game changer for for us here in WA. You know, the fact that you can you can get on a flight and and not having to to transit through one of the hubs, whether yes. it being you know Dubai or Singapore or, or Qatar or whatever it might be. You know, it's just it's just. I mean, I know it's a long haul, but uh, you know, there's a, such a, a lot of time saved, and uh, you know, in particular if you're Flying premium economy, you know, you got more leg room and mm. you got leg rests and that sort of stuff. So you you've got the creature comforts and uh, it's just sit back and watch about ten movies and you're done. <laughs> this is this this is when I catch up on my box sets. You know, yeah, those long haul yeah. flights. You yeah, know, you, exactly. You, get, you take in one or two series and you're pretty much done. You know, yeah, one there Load and one the way back. Load a few audio books up or well, something exactly. like that, you know, yeah. or podcasts or whatever. You're right. So, You'll be amazed yeah. how quickly the time flies, you know, literally. As well as mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, Marwan. Look, it's been great chatting to you uh, for this episode on on all things travel. I uh, look forward to catching up with you again next week, and also with travel editor Stephen Scarfield, who, who will be back with us. He's um currently um he's, he's taken he's taken some holidays, which is a pretty scandalous concept in itself, and he's, yeah, he's doing some it? personal travel. <laughs> you know, unbelievable, yeah. oh, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
he's got the life, hasn't he? He has. Yeah. He's, no, he's, he's well, it's well deserved. He, he works extremely hard, though. It's well no, he deserved. does. Yeah, no, 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 he does. And one suspects that he, he's probably not switching off even then. He's probably worrying about one thing or another while he's away. So Yeah, he's worrying about what we're up to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and rightly so, Moans. Rightly yeah. so. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, look, you have a great right. week. And as I say, it's been great chatting to you. And we'll look forward to catching up with you again next week on the pod Well Travelled. Yeah, thanks, Will, and have a safe trip to Melbourne. Thank you. See ya.